Amen. Please let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 today. You have no idea the, the difficulty I had to, to think, where am I going to stop this today? Oh, this week was like, <laughs> even just the reading, I thought, how will I begin? Because you know I, I normally read a few verses, and, and as I was preparing this message, I was like, I'm going to have to read the entire chapter to them in the beginning, <gasps> which I have no problem doing, but for you guys listening, that might be a little bit hard, because it's like 40-something verses. It's 40 verses, and I was like, wow. But, um, yeah, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought, well, this morning when I was looking through it, I thought, maybe I'll just read down to verse 6. But even then, when I got to verse 6, I was like, ah! But I'm not going to preach all those things. I'm just going to try and preach one verse today, which is, I know, shocking to you, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, I'm going to read... Verse 1, don't know where, I think I may be stopping in verse 15. Hmm. Hmm. Hard. Okay, be gracious with me, brothers and sisters. I am not good at this. Okay, now faith is the reality of what was hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen is made from things that are not visible. By faith, faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gifts. Even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. Before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who, those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even when Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since 
she considered that the one who promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. All these died in faith, although they had not received the things that they were promised, but they saw them from a distance and greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. Excuse me, I'll read one more verse. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to call, be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay. Last week we looked at the essence, what, what faith is, the identification of faith. Because as Christians, we talk a lot about faith, through, through. But really, when it comes down to it, we need to ask the question, what is faith? What does faith look like? The writer here to the Hebrews was a Hebrew writing to other Hebrews, not to writing to Christians, but to ethnically Jewish people. There were Christians, of course, in those, and he is primarily talking to them. But he's aware that those who are listening or reading this may not be believers. They've just been brought up in that atmosphere. And we know also that it's written at a time when the believing Jews are beginning to suffer persecution for their faith in Jesus. It is supposed that this is written around the time when Saul, who became Paul, began his persecution of the church. Remember, he went all around after the martyrdom of Stephen. There out, there's a great outbreak of, of persecution. It's written around that time, supposedly. I don't know who figures those things out, but supposedly it's around that time. And the Christians are beginning to waver. They're beginning to want to maybe go back to form some bonds of unity and peace with their nominal brothers and sisters. Now you and I, we understand this a little bit. Because we live in a country that is nominally Christian. Lutheran, especially out in the villages. When you ask someone, are you a believer? They'll say, yes, I'm a Lutheran. Or no, I'm a Lutheran, depending on who they are. People are baptized into the church. They're basically born into Lutheranism. To be Finnish is almost to be Lutheran. I remember when we were publishing the, what is the a Healthy Church book, the little book that we didn't finish. And the lady from the office that registers new books, the little old lady, she sounded really little and old. I imagine she had gray hair and, and withered and she was in an office somewhere in Helsinki. And she phoned me and she spoke really good English and you could tell just simply by her, her the way that she spoke, she was very waspish, she was very kind of like, this woman had authority and power. She was the gatekeeper. And we had a conversation. I remember I was coming out of H&M when she phoned me. 
And she said, I just want to talk to you about this book. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. She said, and as the conversation went on, she said, I don't think this book will sell well in Finland. And I was like, I don't really care about that. And she said, do you do realize that Finland is a, a Lutheran country? And I was like, I do realize that Finland is a Lutheran country. I've lived here for many years. And she's like, so we don't really believe this. And I was like, well, that's okay. It's okay. And, I, and I'm thinking, they have Benny Hinn books and all these other ridiculous... I wonder if she phoned the people who were publishing them and said, you know, we're in Finland, we don't really accept any. But she didn't. She phoned me. And we had this discussion whether it was... And she said to me at the end of the conversation, it would probably be better for you if you don't, like, publish it publicly, you know, put the ISBN number on the back of it, put it in the public domain. You just... Make the books and give them away for free. You'd probably do better that way. And I was like, no, I, I want to register the book. So we, in the end, we understand what it is to be part of a nominal country. And for those of us who, who are awakened to faith and come from that nominal background, and I don't come from a nominal background, I come from a, a, a purely heathen background. None of my parents ever pretended to be religious. Um... But you understand the burden, you understand the pressure, you understand the great weight of having to move away from that nominal religion. You two have rejected infant baptism and no longer baptize your children. And when you have a child, the first question that your mum or your mum or your mustad or whoever, your mum or your dad, they ask you is, when is the baptism? When is the day? And Momo's all like, I'll make a smurgos torta. We'll have a great time. It'll be great. You understand? And then having to, to kind of say, well, well, no. And there's a pressure. There's, there's a, 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 an awkwardness there. A difficulty. Yeah, it kind of makes you feel, oh, and all of a sudden, as Jesus said, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword to turn father against son, mother against daughter, and there's an awkwardness, and for the Jews of their day, it was exactly the same, they no longer had to go and offer up sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. When the Passover came round again, all the Jewish Christians no longer had to go up to the temple to offer up sheep. Could you imagine all the men gathered and you're the only one, your father, your brothers, your uncles, your cousins. They're all the men, because it was the men who offered up the sheep, okay? Um... They're all gathered and the ladies are preparing all the meals and all the girls are together and they're doing girl things. That sounds sexist. I don't mean to be sexist, but I am. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. And they are. And, uh, and your family's missing. You're not, part of the, you're not part of the celebrations. You're not part of the preparations. You're not part of all the, the festivities. You're absent from it. How awkward do you feel? How awkward does your mum or your dad feel having to explain to your uncles and your aunties, your cousins, your absence? 
It puts them at odds. But again, Jesus said he came not to bring peace, but a sword. And this would be the result. And Jesus, not Jesus, I was going to say, and Jesus has explained through the book of Hebrews. No, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of the book of Hebrews, is explaining to the Jewish Christians why their faith in Christ is superior than the old system. Why they should not be overcome by intimidation. Why they shouldn't be afraid. Why they shouldn't feel like they're the odd person out. And of course he has gone through and he's shown that Christ, faith in Christ is better than, or Christ himself is better than Aaron, better than Moses, better than the temple, better than angels. Jesus is superior than all these things. And that the way, the life of faith is superior than the, the life of, of ceremonial and ritual worship. And so chapter 11 really is tied into chapter 10, verse 38, where he makes the declaration, but my righteous one will live by faith. He's quoting the Old Testament. And that immediately asks the question then, what does faith look like? If you're like me and you've had conversations with nominal believers, they'll turn around and they'll say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe. Like a small child believes in Santa Claus. I believe. Sadly, the Jesus that they believe in is not the true and real Jesus. And so the question here then is, what does faith look like? What does faith in God and Christ look like? Is it an empty thing? A mere profession? A mere association? I, during a meeting, I lifted up my hand. I said a prayer. I asked Jesus in my heart. I made some effort. My, I was raised in that, in that denomination. And I, I, I'm part of it. But yet there's an absence of reality. And in the, the first three verses of what we looked at last week, we looked at the reality of faith and what faith really looks like. And that faith is something that's invisible, but in the same sense, you can see the demonstration of it. As the wind is invisible, you still see the moving of the wind through the trees. You see and feel the effect of the wind. You experience it in the same way you experience the reality of faith. And to claim to have faith but to lack a reality is a contradiction. Remember, I used the verse last week from... I think it's the book of James. Goes completely ahead there. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds. Or is that First John? I can't remember. It's one of the two. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And I made the, the example that a dead body is easy to identify. If, if we put Frederick on the floor and put a dead body next to him, we would be able to identify which one is alive and which one is dead. Because when you say their name... One responds and the other doesn't. There's life in one and an absence in the other. The same is known in a person who has faith and doesn't have faith. There is a life about them. There is an activity. One who claims to be a believer 
but lacks true and real faith, has no life, God life about them. There's no association with Jesus. There's no interaction with God. They are empty. It's easy to see. And we went on and other things, but I don't want to preach last week's sermon. Haha. Verse 4 today. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, the writer wants to demonstrate the reality of faith and give examples of faith. And as a good biblical expositor, he goes back to the Bible and he goes back to the very first. Example of faith, which was the third man. Remember, there was Adam, then there was Cain, and then there was Abel. Cain and Abel were born after the fall. They did not walk with God in the garden. You can't use Adam as an example of faith. Why? Because Adam saw God. Adam interacted with God. He didn't have to have faith because he saw the reality of it. And it was only after the fall and that Adam and, Eve had been, Adam and Eve had been put out of the garden that the necessity of faith became a reality. Because man was now separated from God and could not be in the presence of God, could not look at God, otherwise he would die. Do you remember that incident when Moses is out with God on the mountain and he says, Lord, let me see you. Let me see you. And God says to him, no, no man can look at me and live. No man can look at me and live. Such is the holiness of God. Our hearts would stop in terror and panic. He is so holy and you realize how unholy you are and you would die. He is so magnificent, so mighty, so great, so terrible that if you were to glimpse him, if you were to stand in his presence and behold his glory, you would die. We know that the Bible says that God maneuvered Moses into the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand, walked by, and Moses was able to glimpse out and saw the back of God. It's a theophany, a pre-existent appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. But here we're talking about Abel, the first man of faith. If you remember the story, let me go forward into the story. It's from Genesis 4. I had to go through my notes there. Genesis 4. Cain and Abel are born. There is a... Uh, first of all, Cain was born. His name means he's, it's here or it's there. The idea, the thinking is, MacArthur says this, that obviously Eve thought that the promise given for a Messiah in Genesis 3 was accomplished through the birth of Cain. His name means it is here. The promise has arrived. And somehow in some way she thought that Cain would be the answer to all of their problems. He was mommy's little boy. And he was a, a, a well-loved. He's, it means also, you know, my boy. He is, it is here. It's, he's, he's the one. 
Abel's name means breath, as in. <sighs> I, when I read that this week, I thought they had a Levi too. Uh, you know that. <sighs> a breath. It's something, it means like um, short. You think of, of, of almost like a second thought, like a mistake. I don't want to say mistake. Did you understand? A breath, just something exactly that. We all heard it right there. <laughs> but there's also this idea of, of one believing that they are right and the other acknowledging that they're wrong. Another example that I read, one of the old ones from the Puritans when I, what, that I read this week was, in this we see a perfect example of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Of one who believes himself to be righteous. One who gives thanks that he is not like the other. One who believes in his own good. While the other, the lesser, recognizing his own mortality, his own sin, the distance between him and God and his need for an alien righteousness, a righteousness not of his own. And trusting in the given process to make him righteous. We see this again by their behavior. The Bible says that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. It wasn't that simply God like barbecue and didn't like salad which all men can understand I mean I, I personally like a good steak rather than a chicken salad you know the Bible says that Cain offered up the fruit of the ground he was a farmer a gardener one who worked the earth and uh, did well in that sense the other was the, a keeper of flocks of sheep of goats of I don't know, llamas or pterodactyls or I don't know what else they were. But he was a keeper of flocks. Now we, pres- we presume that there was instruction given to them of what was required. Because one knew what to do and the other knew what to do and did not do it. Because God says, then why are you so angry? Do what is right and you'll do well. Abel offered up a sacrifice not because of, of his own works, but rather of what was required. Also, his sacrifice speaks of a blood guilt, of a life for a life, of knowing that he in himself was not worthy and needed to give a life. Couldn't sacrifice himself in that sense. It's an understanding of his own sinfulness and of his need for an alien righteousness. Demonstrates as well that in, in this world there are two ways. As John Calvin said, there are only two ways to meet God in this world or, or to come before God in this world. The way of man, which is self-righteousness, to try and build your own little tower of Babel. Babel, to try and somehow in some way achieve 
self-righteousness or the other, to come in humility, to come in the recognizing of God's solution, to humble yourself and to be able to say, I cannot, but I recognize that you have. Abel was able, Abel was able, gosh, to offer up an acceptable sacrifice. Cain refused to do so. Knew what was expected, knew what was needed, but yet decided to bring the best of what he had to offer in order to please God or to demonstrate to God that he didn't really need God's deliverance. He was doing well. And yet, though Cain, and again I read this one of the Puritans, I can't remember which one it was, was said that that Cain's gift or offering would have been spectacular. It wouldn't have just been like one or two little potatoes or a, a sack of carrots. It, it, it was a splendid, it was the harvest festival all in one go. It would have been a splendid and majestic offering. Not something, I mean, we're talking sacks of grain. We're not talking just simply just a, a little but much. Regardless of the effort, regardless of whatever he brought, God did not find it acceptable. Not just the gift, but the spirit in which it was given. Abel would have brought one wee lamb, one wee sheep, offered it up. It's not much, but it is what's required. Wasn't the size of the gift? It was the the obedience, and I think that's really that what what's being described here is the spirit of obedience. That faith in itself is obedient to God's command. They had been told. We, we presume they had been told what to do, and yet one of them. Refused to do it. He brought that which he is capable of. His best life now. Or whatever you want to say. The other brought what he was told to bring. And it's that spirit of obedience. True faith is obedient to the command. True true faith is basic in its obedience. The word of God says it. I believe it. That's the end of it. You know that. And that kind of faith. You don't have to make a complicated thing out of it. You don't have to do theological gymnastics. And find this way. We, we know ourselves. When someone says. Well it would take too long to explain it to you now. But. Take my word for it. You say no. Show me from the scriptures. When someone wants to explain to you. Some theological principle to which they hold, but yet can't just show it from this plain teaching of Scripture, but have to bend it back upon itself and go to this place and explain what it means in the quasi-Greek something, something, something. Simple faith is more than enough. 
Abel, by his faith in God, offered up a better sacrifice. Doesn't mean that it was better in quality or quantity, but it was better in the sense that it was that was that was what was required and was accepted. You and I we need to be able to understand that there is coming a day when we will have to stand before God. That's one of the other things that is presumed that that there was a place where they met with God. There was a time where they had to offer up sacrifices and there was a sacrifice to be given. A place, a time, or a time, a place, and a present. We, as human beings, all will have to one day stand before God when you die or when he returns. And in that standing before God, what sacrifice, what, the word in English, Old English is propitiation. What act of reconciliation. How will you pay off your debt? How will you make peace with God? How will you come evidence with them? Will you, like Cain, come with all of your best stuff, your bling, your harvest, all the good deeds you've done in your life, all of the righteousness, special? Well, I was great. I did great things. You bring them before the Lord. You say, look at that. I helped that little old lady across the street. Look there. I was always obedient to my mom and my dad. I'm in serious trouble there. I know. I was a great husband. My wife will testify against that before the throne. You'll be able to say, well, Lord, I never told a lie. And everybody in heaven go, oh. <laughs> I never looked at another person with lust in my heart. Never hated anybody. You can just see like all the angels going, <laughs> What will you bring before the throne to to demonstrate to God that you are worthy of going to heaven? What will you bring to cover up all of your misgivings, sins, crimes, shortcomings before the throne? Are you going to be like Cain? Going to bring whatever you can bring? See, Cain brought the best that he could bring. But it still wasn't good enough. Because it wasn't what was required. One of the people that I read this week said. That Cain brought. Gifts of worship. And of. of, um, Not appeasement. But of worship and of praise. Because in the Old Testament system, you could give crops, grain, other things that you had grown. But they were gifts of worship and of praise. They weren't gifts of, it wasn't wasn't an, an act of contrition. It wasn't the acknowledgement of your sinfulness and of your need for an alien righteousness. And by doing so, he was saying that he did not recognize his own sinfulness 
He refused to acknowledge that he needed a saviour. That he felt that he was just good enough. There is coming a time. None of us know the day, the hour, the moment. Daniel told us today of his childhood friend who passed away. He did not know the moment of his death. And when it came, it came and he was gone. A man had to stand before the Lord. None of us are assured. None of us know for certain how much life we have left. But we are all assured that after death there is something else. And the Bible tells us that all men must die and then face judgment. We are weighed. We are examined. We must stand in the courtroom of heaven. And the witnesses, the Bible says in the end, the witnesses will be called and all the testimony will be given and we will be found guilty. None of us will be ever find innocent. Not one of us will be able to say, oh, I, I, I was okay. Not one of us. Mm-hmm. You see, in heaven, or not in heaven, but in, as we stand before God in judgment, it's either you're guilty or you're pardoned. You're forgiven. All of your crimes will have been paid for through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your sin debt, all of the, the small acts of rebellion that we have against our Creator will be paid for. Either you will pay them or Christ will have paid them before, for you. We can identify with Cain and Abel, can't we? One brother who wanted to do all things in himself and didn't feel the need for salvation, didn't, need to, didn't feel the need to confess his sinfulness or recognize that he was in a situation of need. And another brother, the younger brother, who saw and recognized the the frailty of his own nature and of the separation between him and God. And that he by himself had no way of satisfying God. And therefore he had to trust in God to act on his behalf. That God would provide a lamb. That God would provide a sacrifice. It wasn't the little lamb, sheep, goats, whatever it was that he brought, that was the appeasement. It was that symbolized Christ. That symbolized the act of God on his behalf. In that he was saying, I am hoping for salvation through another, not of myself. I recognize that I in my flesh cannot please God. But that God, you will provide one for a salvation, a sacrifice, a substitute on my behalf. The Bible says that by faith, he was approved as a righteous man. It was not his action or his gift. It wasn't the quality of his gift. 
It wasn't the, the he didn't write a big bow on it. You know, if you know, if I give you a present, you'll know that I like to wrap my presents lovely. I, I enjoy bows. I enjoy wrapping paper. I am that kind of man. I enjoy a bling of a, of a parcel. My, my, and then people just go, <laughs> takes me maybe 20, 30 minutes to wrap a parcel. And then people just rip it apart in seconds. I'm like, yeah, I could have appreciated all the effort. Yeah. Abel was not approved by the quality of his gift. The quantity of his gift. It wasn't even the gift of it in itself. It was the faith, it was the spirit in which the gift was given. In the obedience. Faith is obedient. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus said. There is the idea that faith does what is required. It is not rebellious. It's not self-centered. It's not... I can do it myself. Faith is humble. Faith hears what is required and responds in doing it. Abel's faith gained him the approval of God, and that's what's required. I, I can just imagine Cain in the background kind of sniggering as Abel comes with his, his little sheep, goat, baby, kid, lamb thing. Now there is, there is Cain with his great harvest, with his mountains of grain and uh, the best of the best. You know, like everything is award winning because it's the first and it's giant and it's amazing and he's up there and he's like, look at this, look at this marrow watermelon type thing you know look at this pumpkin it's amazing and along comes his brother with this wee sheep you know there was this looking down and in our flesh we can do that we can despise the way of faith it's too easy it's too simple it, it's there's nothing attractive in its appearance there's nothing that lifts up me. Cain represents the spirit of self. Self-acknowledgement. Self-lifting. Of that, I don't want it and I don't need it. Where Abel is the opposite. One who lowers himself down to the ground. One who recognises and bows the knee. Confesses openly. Is not ashamed. Even to the extent where Abel becomes the first martyr. Cain's jealousy and displeasure with his brother grows so much that he murders Abel. Bashes his brains in in the field. Hides the body somewhere. Pretends that nothing happened. So enraged was Cain. At Abel's simple faith. That he couldn't even look at him. Couldn't stand him. 
Abel being the first martyr. You see, the act of self-worship that Cain produces always incites those who are against the way of faith to a murderous rage. You say, what do you mean, Campbell? You look at the, the, the history of the prophets through the Old Testament. These righteous men who came forward with the words of God and the people that they came to didn't accept them and they martyred them. They killed them. Think of the Lord Jesus himself or even a little before when John the Baptist came and he was preaching. No man ever preached like John the Baptist and preached with power and with eloquence and with Influence and effect, and the nation began to turn to God in preparation for the coming of Jesus. And yet, he was still arrested, still imprisoned, and ultimately beheaded because those who couldn't stand his words or the way of faith were incensed to murder and they killed him. Again, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this. That the Pharisees, the the Sadducees, the, the, the Herodians, the Jewish people of that era responded in Edelskan. What's that in English? Anger. Do you remember that time he was preaching in his own hometown? And he was in his own home synagogue. And he got up and he read from the scroll and everyone was like, oh, that's the word. And then he began to teach and they became incensed with anger and they wanted to drag him out to the edge of the town and stone him to death. The people that he grew up with, the people that he'd been with for the, all of his life because he preached the way of faith to them. And their flesh, the spirit of Cain within them, was enraged, couldn't stand to look at him. And they, like their father Cain, and I don't mean because we know, yeah, desired to end Jesus. Look at the apostles. All of the apostles, except the apostle John, were murdered terribly. As in, they murdered them successfully, but in a terrible way. Not like they did it. Yeah, you understand what I mean there. Yeah? You don't have to explain that. Their lives were taken from them because they preached the way of faith. And they did so obediently despite the cost. Despite the hardship. Despite the anger that it generated. They stood faithfully. And as a result God approved them. It wasn't just a government... Well done. Their proof, no, sorry, their faith was demonstrated in the proof of their actions. Again, you might say to me, I have faith, you just don't see it. I have faith, but you just don't see it. You can't see my heart. You don't know what I feel or think. You hear you to judge me. And I'm going to say to you, if you have faith, it will be seen. It will be demonstrated. Your faith will come through and everything. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, Jesus said. 
If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will walk in His ways and keep His requirements, as it says in the Old Testament. You cannot walk the way of faith and not be obedient to the command. You cannot walk in the way of faith and not resist wickedness. You cannot walk in the way of faith and not endure the anger of those who are unbelieving. The rejectors that will turn against you. I like that. I used to be of the sword. You all know, you know in, in, in Reformation times, there were two kind of groups. There were the reformers who believed that we were of the sword. We must conquer through the sword. And that they, they uh, believed that you could have holy wars and that you could you know, attack people in a physical way in that sense. And then there were the others, the Anabaptists for the most part, whom I, I enjoy. Not all Anabaptists, of course, but some of them. Who believe that we are not of the sword. We believe that the Christians must endure. We are the eternal victims. And I used to be of the sword. I used to think, well, we can defend ourselves. We can, you know, rise up in rebellion against a false king or whatever, you know. But the more I study the scriptures in that, I realized, no, that's, that's nowhere in the scriptures. That's, none of the apostles did that. The Lord Jesus Christ never did that. We don't see that anywhere in church history, in, in, in biblical church history. Those living by faith and walking the way of faith endure. You don't see Abel here resisting Cain, you know, having a battle of rocks or whatever they did. You don't see that. Abel laid down his life. I can imagine them, the two of them walking in the field together and they're having this discussion. And Cain being the big brother, he's all like, you know, trying to tell Abel his mistake and how he needs to know and how he's not happy with them and they're there and, they're, and, and Abel's like, well, I just think, you know, God said this and we should do that. And Cain getting more and more infuriated with his brother. No, but you just don't understand. We just, you just, you made me so crazy. And Abel's like, yeah, I, I understand that I'm really sorry. You just need cameras. Don't tell me to calm down. And that's the end of it. Christian, if you're walking the life of faith, your faith will be seen in your walk. In how you interact with people and the response people have around you. Your faith will not make everybody happy. It's not a crazy thought. We live in Finland and we all know that the unspoken 10th, or sorry, 10th, 11th commandment in Finland is you will be kind or snell. That we're all required to be the nicest of people. And we are nice people. Some of us more than others. But And that everyone will be happy with us. We'll walk around and everybody will be like, Oh, you're so good. Pie, pie, love, love. But the Bible tells us that the more you live a life that pleases God, the more righteous you are in the real and living way, the more people around you will be angry. I remember many years ago, I, I helped 
several young men who were homosexual. I didn't try and pray the gay or anything like that. This was stupid. But these were young men who were homosexual and, and um, I was in their life helping them out, just being a dad, if you understand what that means. Um, having conversations with them. It got to a point, and we were, I thought we were friends until they went, one of them went to Sweden and they came back and um, they were incensed against me. And for years, for years, they sought to destroy me. Uh, I received the most hateful emails you've ever read in your life. So much so I never let Sarah see them or anything. I wouldn't, wouldn't show them. Just terrible. They went and uh, reported me to the authorities. And the authorities at that time said, that's not a crime. <laughs> you know, Maybe it is today. I don't know. But uh, I was contacted. Again, never told my wife or anything about these things because they were just foolish and didn't want to stress anyone. And uh, I, you do all that you can do and you give yourself on people's behalf and you love them and you help them and you are a Christian to them and uh, you know, whatever you can do. And none of that is enough. And the more they come closer to the righteousness of Christ and the love that you're giving, the more and more angry and frustrated they get and the more and more that incenses them to anger and they want to snuff out that light to extinguish it to slock and that what is in English Swedish to turn it off to extinguish it if you are a Christian you're and you're walking in the way of faith your life will cause people to be uncomfortable and as a response to that they will seek to extinguish your life but even then you must be faithful A righteous man lives by faith and that faith is demonstrated in his walk. It is an obedient walk. It is an enduring walk. A life that is seen to be righteous. The Bible says here, because God approved his gifts even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Isn't that really amazing? That this is the third man. I don't know why I did that. The Bible says this is the third man. And I don't know how many thousands or however long ago that was. But this man in his life, his life was so impactful that his message still, we still know about him today. We know his name or at least a type of his name today. Think of the millions of billions of people that have existed on this planet all over that you don't know about, you've never heard of. You've, I don't know. I don't know. And yet this one man who lived for a time, his name was Breath. A short thing. <sighs> Whose life was stolen from him. And yet you and I know his name because he pleased God. Because he was accepted from God. There... A person who lives their life according to the way of faith can live an impactful life. That your life can impact and your story can impact 
those who follow you for years. You don't know what's going to come out of your your walk with God, your life with God. You may conceive yourself the most humblest, shortest, nothing ever, ever, ever. And yet, because of the obedience, because of the walk, because of your life, God can bring forth much fruit from it. Think, I always think of, when I talk about this, Saul who became Paul, Saul, the name Saul means great, big, you know, like magnificent almost, you know, like that's the, 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 the sense you get. And he changed his name or took upon himself the, the, his uh, Roman name, Paul, which means pebble, small. You know, Peter who became, or Simon who became Peter, Simon meaning uh, rubble or small or pebbles or whatever on the beach, and he calls him Peter the Rock. Well, the Apostle Paul went the other way. From being great, he made himself small. Meaning, someone of no influence, someone of no importance, someone who hasn't any real grandeur about themselves, and yet God used him. The majority of our Bible, or the majority of the, certainly the New Testament, written by him, the missionary who brought the gospel into Europe, God used that man in his life of faith in order that our lives might be impacted, that we might know Christ in a clearer and better way. Beloved, when we are asking the question, what is a life of faith? It is a very important question. Because it's on that question. The answer to that question means you either get into heaven or you don't. You either have peace with God or you are the enemy of God. You're a subject or a rebel. The Bible says that there's only one way. And that is through the acceptance of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that begins with the acknowledgement of who you are as a person. Are you a Cain or are you an Abel? Are you a person driven by a self? Believing that you don't need a saviour. That you're not sinful. That you haven't broken any of God's laws. And who is God to judge you anyway? Or are you an Abel? One who knows the shortness of his life. One who recognizes that he's not the most important person in the room. One who recognizes what God has required. And despite himself and all of his misgivings, it wasn't because Abel was just a little bit cleverer or more holier or anything else. He recognized his own insignificance. And he asked God... Through his sacrifice, forgive me my sin. Who are you? Do you walk the way of Cain? Or do you follow the path of Abel? Your faith will be seen. Your faith will be demonstrated. And that's the whole meaning of the writer here. Or the speaker the Holy Spirit through this person down through the churches of all ages, identifying what real faith looks like. 
you and I, if we're believers here, it, it should be a, a, a strengthening to our faith, knowing that we're not to be those who exalt ourselves. Not to be those who walk in such a way as we're all blustering and boasting and drawing attention to ourselves. That we are to be those who acknowledge that we are nothings. In the, in the great and true sense of it. That we can't please God. That we really need someone else to act on our behalf. And thank God that God has done that for us. That God has acted on our behalf. And has provided the sacrifice for you and for me. His faith still speaks. And beloved, our faith should speak. Not because of our righteousness. It upsets me when I think that uh, when people look at us and, as Christians and say, well, you know, you think you're all that good. You think you're great. You think you're righteous, so, so holy. Like, no, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. I know my sin. I own my wickedness. I see my shortcomings. And the older I get, the more they are. They're right there in front. And gets the, the lack of patience and everything comes up floating to the top. Beloved, we are either a son of Abel or a son of Cain. One heaven bound, the other to destruction. Let us consider that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, as we examine the way of faith, we pray that you would help us. The Lord, you would open up our own eyes and our own minds that we might see that we are either people of the faith or we are of full of unbelief and willful disobedience. Please, Lord, show us the need. Express to our minds and to our hearts. And don't give us peace until we accept him who is the king of peace. For us, for us Christians, Lord, help us to learn and to be built up in our faith. To, to be more dedicated to the way of faith. Not to be push this side or that, not really knowing what it looks like or what it is, but to be steadfast and rooted in the truth. Heavenly Father, please, Holy Spirit, oh, our Lord Jesus, move in power among us. and Bring your will. May your will be done here among us. Lord, I pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.